Welcome back to episode six of Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. I am your host, Vicki, and today I'm welcomed by my good friend, Jenna. Hello. So today's episode is about John Wayne Gacy, or also known as the Killer Clown. So already sounds pretty great. (laughs) This episode does include really graphic content. So I do want to state that listener discretion is advised. This episode (laughs) (laughs) includes mature content, graphic language, strong language, and subject matter that may be too mature for some audiences. And I do also want to state that nor myself or my co-host are professional investigators or journalists, and therefore the information that we present here today is just researched by ourselves and then presented as such. So with that, go put this on pause or carry us over to the kitchen and make yourself a BLT, a Reuben, or even a grilled cheese, and let's mow down on some true crime. Okay, so this is a doozy, like literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I actually, with the last episode, I got no childhood history. Well, it was a child. But there's actually a lot about John Wayne Gacy. So he was born on March 17th in 1942 in Chicago, Illinois. And his parents were John Stanley Gacy and then Marion Robinson. So I'll refer to his father as John Sr. And I'll refer to John Wayne Gacy as just Gacy like the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then John was the middle child and he had two sisters. So he had a really close relationship with his mom, but his and his two sisters, but an absolute terrible relationship with his father, which is pretty common, apparently. Yes. (laughs) So John Sr. was an auto repairer mechanist, and he uh, was also a World War I veteran, but was also an alcoholic and physically abused his wife and all three of his children. John Sr. was known to belittle Gacy, calling him dumb and stupid and comparing him to his sisters in which like never resulted in his favor. Gacy's mother did try to protect him, but it just resulted in him being called like a pussy and it it didn't help him at all. And that he would probably grow up queer. So a lot of toxic masculinity (laughs) happening in this family. (laughs) So despite the abuse, Gacy did always claim that he loved his father and that he just never felt that he was good enough in his father's eyes, which is just like really sad. Yeah. So in 1949, so Gacy's about seven years old, John Sr. was informed that Gacy and another boy had actually been caught sexually fondling a young girl. And as a result, his father whipped him with a razor strap as punishment, which I actually had to Google what that was. But it's like a flexible strip of leather or a soft material that's used to straighten and polish the blade of a straight razor or knife. I couldn't find out if the razor strap had a razor on it or if it was just actually the strap. So I'm not sure. Either way. Not I mean, doesn't sound good. (laughs) It doesn't sound good. Uh, In that same year, a family friend and contractor would also sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. And Gacy never told his father about it. And he was like afraid his father would just blame him. So again, like he's only seven. Yeah, just a lot of constant trauma happening for him so i imagine that this is why this is all leading up to something yes not great so he was an overweight child i guess he got advised of some heart conditions so he wasn't allowed to play sports Mm. and then in the fourth grade he actually started experiencing blackouts and he was like hospitalized a whole bunch because of it that's scary he actually estimated later that between ages 14 and 18 he had spent almost a whole year in the hospital and he like got horrible grades and didn't graduate high school because of it 
his dad totally suspected that the episodes were like fake and that he was just trying to gain sympathy. Yeah. Mm. His mom and his sisters didn't like, didn't think that they thought it Mm. was real, but it never actually came out like what that was. Like it never was diagnosed. Whatever some sort of like circulation thing. If he's like blacking out, it's weird. I know that is weird. And like, I couldn't find any more information. So like, I mean, it was a long time ago, so they probably didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Didn't even have technology to figure out what it was. Yeah. This is like a 19, like what? 49, 50. Yeah, exactly. So basically that's his life up to the age of 18. So this is now in 1960 and he actually became really involved in politics and started working as an assistant precinct captain for a democratic party candidate that was in his local community. And this is still in Chicago. This led to lots of criticism from his father and accused Gacy of being a patsy. Mm. So I assume he was a Republican. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty safe to assume. Shortly after that, uh, John Sr. did buy Gacy a vehicle, but he kept it in his name until Gacy could pay it off, which took like a few years. But then his dad would just regularly take the keys on him so that he couldn't drive it. So Gacy obviously just got a spare set made, but then his dad would just take off like the radiator cap or distributor cap so that he couldn't drive the vehicle. Okay, so a lot of like power (laughs) imbalances there. He really (laughs) felt like he had to be in charge of. Oh yeah, for sure. So one of the times after he did it, um, Gacy just left home and drove to Vegas and he found work uh, with an ambulance service before he was transferred to work at a mortuary. Mm-hmm. So he was an attendant there. Again, he's 18. And he's actually slept on a cot that was behind the embalming room. And that's where they embalmed like all the people. And he worked there for three months and observed morticians embalming constantly. That was like his main job. He later confessed that one evening while he was alone, he actually did climb into a coffin of a deceased teenage boy and then in like embraced him and caressed his body before experiencing a total sense of shock. And then the next day he moved back home and returned to Chicago. That is creepy as hell. <laughs> so creepy. Jesus. As soon as I literally read Mortuary, I was like, this is not no. going to end well. No. <laughs> this is a really going to be gross. Yeah. Yeah. So ugh. after Gacy returned home, he did enroll in business college, which was pretty interesting because he didn't pass high school yeah um he did graduate in 1963 so he was about 21 and he took a management trainee position with something called nun bush shoe company okay i've never heard of it the next year they transferred him to springfield illinois to work as a salesman and then eventually promoted him to manager of his department and then in march of that year he became engaged to someone named marilyn myers who was his co-worker so he's like not doing too bad for himself i guess despite Laying with a corpse. Um, yeah. (laughs) I mean, hopefully, I'm thinking that maybe he didn't disclose that to Marilyn before he proposed, or, like, during. (laughs) So, while Gacy was with, uh, Marilyn, uh, he joined the local JCs. I actually totally had to look this up. Gacy was in the JCs. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) Gacy was in the JCs. I didn't even put that in So it's a United States uh, junior chamber. It's kind of like a leadership training program. And it's like an organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40 to learn business development, management skills, individual training, community service, and international connections. It kind of sounds like something like maybe Cub Scouts, but like you can be up to 40, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, whatever. It's kind of a weird age range, but okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he worked really, really hard for them and was eventually named Key Man the next year in 1964. Okay. 
kind of weird. So in the same year, Gacy admitted to having his first homosexual experience. According to Gacy, after one of his colleagues in the Springfield JCs, <laughs> this is going to be really fun with all <laughs> with all these writing, um, had some drinks with him. He invited him to spend the night on his couch, and he agreed. And then the colleague performed oral sex on him while he was drunk. So by the next year, in 1965, he actually rose to vice president of the Springfield JCs, and then the same year was named third most outstanding JC in the whole state of Illinois. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And then after six months, he married Marilyn in September of 1964. And then after the wedding, Marilyn's father purchased three KFC restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. So Gacy and Marilyn moved there so that Gacy could manage all three of them. With the understanding that they would move into Marilyn's parents' old house that has now been vacated for them. Yeah. So, like, okay. not bad. Yeah. His annual salary was going to be $15,000 a year, but that's equivalent to $123,900 a year now. And he also gets a share of all three of the restaurant's profits. Not a bad gig. That's like no. that didn't graduate high school. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not bad at all. I was like, okay, sweet. So, once he started managing the restaurants, he opened up a club in the basement Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. Although Gacy employed all genders, only teenage boys were invited. <clears throat> um, oh. Gary would make sure to get them very intoxicated and then he would make advances on them. And if they declined, he would just state that he was like doing a moral test to them or was just joking. Awesome. Yeah. <sighs> So Gacy and Marilyn did have their first child, who was a boy, in February of 1966. I couldn't find his name. Yeah. And then they also had a daughter the next year in March of 1967. I just realized those are hardcore Irish twins. What is that? Irish twins is when they're less than 18 months apart. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So they're like, they're only 13 months apart. Oh, and me and my sister are interesting. <laughs> Anyways, totally unrelated. No, it's okay. So Gacy later described his life at this time as perfect, and he had actually finally earned his father's approval. When his parents visited him in July of 1966, his father actually took him aside and privately apologized to him for, like, how awful he was in his upbringing, and they, like, shook hands and, like, had a quick hug. Hmm. Not sure. I mean, I don't think that that obviously <laughs> did anything for him or his... Apparently he was like really happy about it, but I think like deep down, like not. I well, think one apology you... is like really. It's kind of a slap in the face. Like after all the physical and emotional torment that he put him through, and belittling, even like calling him, saying that he was going to be like a homosexual, calling him a patsy, saying that he's a pussy, like, and then him having these like inappropriate homosexual like interactions. It all is very parallel like it makes sense so having like oh yeah sorry about that it's like okay i'm my handshake is nice and all but it doesn't get rid of like the trauma that he must have caused and but like and why but why then is it because oh, yeah. he had a son yeah it's like oh he has a, he's married and he has a family now so it's okay to apologize i feel like he's an acceptable version of himself so now i'm actually gonna re like be like oh actually you know what just kidding we're you're fine now we're all cool don't worry about what? it this is ridiculous <laughs> So not shockingly, when they moved to Waterloo, Gacy did join the local JC's chapter there as well. And he would regularly extend his hours to the organization. So he'd work like 12 to 14 hour workdays at KFC. And then he would go to work at the JC's and he would not shockingly provide fried chicken. 
<laughs> and insist on being called the Colonel when he was <laughs> yes when he, when he was at the JCC. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. So in 1967, he was named Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo JCS, and that same year he did serve on the board of directors. And Gacy and other Lou Water JCS were deeply involved with wife swapping, prostitution, porn, and substance abuse. <laughs> Yeah, that adds up. <laughs> it did not confirm if Marilyn was part of this wife swapping. Yeah, I wonder how much she was aware of all this or if that's coming out later, but... It's not. There's That's the only thing that's ever mentioned. And I, I looked it up. But, like, yeah. Like, not shockingly, him and Marilyn don't, like, work out. Uh, but, yeah, like, I after they why. don't work out, like, that's it. Like, he actually never sees him and her and her children again. Like, we... We'll briefly touch about it later, but he never sees them again. That's... Like, they're never mentioned ever again. Which, like, like, I would like... change my name. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I mean, we'll go to that later, but, like, I guess if he only had these people around, it's almost like a facade, because it feels like, you yeah. know, like, at the same time, he just got engaged, and then the next minute, he's having weird sexual encounters in the <laughs> basement of his freaking KFC. <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like a very healthy relationship to begin with. It's all very much like, okay, like, I, I need to do this to earn my father's approval, and once I do that, then I can move on and do the things that I want to do and be called the colonel at Gacy's JC's. <laughs> Just like if I worked at KFC and my boss was like, I'm going to open a club downstairs and give you free alcohol. Do you want to come? I'd be like, I'm super good. But yeah, thank like, you so much for the alcohol. Hard pass. <laughs> like I would never. Oh my God. Um, so in August of 67, so now he's 25, Gacy does sexually assault a 15-year-old boy named Donald Voorhees. So he is actually the son of a fellow JC. So I don't know why you're dipping in the pot, um, yeah. but whatever. So Gacy lured Donald to his house upon the promise of showing him heterosexual stag films regularly played at that at JC events. Like this is the porn that they would play. So Gacy got Donald drunk, allowed him to watch this movie, and then persuaded him to engage in mutual oral sex, saying you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with a woman. <clears throat> Over the following months, Gacy did similarly abuse several other youths and even tricked a few into thinking that it was like like a commission to conduct homosexual experiments for scientific research and would pay them $50 each. Mm -hmm. So in March of 1968, this is less than a year later after he assaults Donald, Donald actually finally told his father that what had Gacy had done to him and his father just immediately informed the police who arrested Gacy and charged him with performing oral sodomy on Donald and the attempted assault of a 16 year old boy named Edward Lynch. So Gacy denied all charges obviously, and but demanded to take a polygraph test, um, which he basically failed. Like all it yeah. said was that he was nervous when he was asked those questions. And I wonder why. Yeah. So. So Gacy also publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted that all charges had a political motivation as Donald's father had opposed Gary's nominating, like for appointing him as the president of the Iowa JCs, which like, okay. So <laughs> several other uh, JC members totally supported Gacy though and rallied behind him. But on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was officially indicted on the sodomy charge. Mm -hmm. 
on August 30th, 1968, you're going to like die. So Gacy persuaded an employee of his named Russell Schroeder, who was only 18, to physically assault Donald in effort to discourage him from even testifying. Gacy promised to pay him $300 and he agreed. He's 18, 300 bucks back in those days. Sick. In early September, he was lured to an uh, isolated, like, country park and then was maced in the eyes and, like, beaten. But he got away and he reported the assault to the police and he actually totally identified Russell, who apparently didn't have a mask on or anything. Oh. And he was arrested. Um, Initially, Russell just denied that, like, he was even involved, but then totally Mm -hmm. just confessed. He's like, yeah, Gacy paid me. Well, yeah, what does he have to gain from lying about it? Literally nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So police then arrested Gacy and then added an additional charge for hiring Russell to assault and intimidate Donald. Like, just an idiot. So on September 12th, Gacy was ordered to go into a psychiatric evaluation and two doctors examined him over a period of 17 days and concluded that he had antisocial personality disorder, but that he was mentally competent for trial. And then on November 7th, so it's a couple months later, he actually just pleaded guilty to the one count of sodomy in relation to Donald, but not guilty in the charges related to the other youths. And then Gacy claimed that Donald had offered himself to him and that he acted out of curiosity, but like obviously this wasn't believed by literally anyone. A month after that, he was convicted on the sodomy in December and he was sentenced to 10 years. And then obviously that same day, Marilyn was like, peace out and filed for a divorce. Um, yeah, understandably <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, she requested to be awarded with the couple's home and property, which makes sense because uh, yeah. it was her parents. And sole custody of their two children and alimony. The court totally ruled in her favor. The divorce was finalized the following September and literally Gacy never saw them ever again. Yeah, and, like, understandably so. If I was a wife, like, who, why would you even want your name associated? Like, the fact that you... Unfortunately, that her children even have to be associated to being related to them. That's just... It's horrible. It would have been... Like, yeah. And, and like, obviously, he was fired as a KFC manager for her Yeah, pets. no kidding, hey? From the basement parties weren't enough. <laughs> they probably went down and saw that whoever bought those KFCs and were like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, so these ones are on a special sale. Don't worry. The dungeon is gone now. It is completely... <laughs> We put extra tables down yeah, there for seating. Exactly. It's fully monitored all the time, we promise. <laughs> so gross. So during his incarceration, Gacy quickly gained the reputation of a model prisoner and became the head cook only after a few months. He also joined, not shockingly, the inmate JC chapter and increased the membership from 50 to 650 men in 18 months. Which is, like, crazy. That's insane. That's a lot of people that have to follow you for, like, what he did, especially. Like, usually that's not... I don't know if things were different back then, but that kind of thing now is very, very much not a thing that you get away with in prison. They do not like people that assault children. No. Especially sexually assault children. And that's why I was, like, pretty surprised. Because I was like, it must not have gone out. Yeah, maybe they just didn't know. Like... Maybe he said it was like, oh, I beat up a... A kid or like, or a, like an adult. adult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just lied. Uh, so he was also known to have uh, secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay in the prison mess hall. And he also improved living conditions. And he even assisted with the installation of a mini golf course. <laughs> Random. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so in June of 1969, this is not even a year after his imprisonment, he was already up for parole and he was denied. But his next date was the following year in May. So Gacy decided to complete 16 high school courses and then obtained his diploma in just a couple months later in November. On Christmas Day of that year, so this is 1969, his dad died of cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. 
And he was, he requested to attend the funeral, like, supervised, but it was denied. Mm, Well, I mean, sorry, dude. Yeah. (laughs) So, on June 18th, 1970, so he's not, he's not even two years. This is 18 months after his 10-year sentence, he gets out. They accept his parole and with a 12-month probation. And conditions were that he had to move to Chicago and move in with his mother and that he had a 10 p.m. curfew. Yeah, first of all, the fact that he got out so early. How? How? I know he like was like a model inmate. That doesn't mean shit. That's not even 20% of your sentence. No. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Uh, I was so surprised. And also, like... Does, is his mother, like, does she, like, believe him? Is she on, like, his side? Like, what? after hearing that, like, how can you support your child? Like, I know they're your kid, but... I just think she doesn't maybe have high standards after marrying someone maybe, like yeah. his dad. Like, I mean, she, yeah, she would have had been pretty damaged to be with that man for however long. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they ever divorced, like, the mom it, and dad. I don't they think just, they did. Yeah, no. so... So, on February 12th now, in 1971, so this is not even a year later, so he's still on probation... He gets charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that he had lured him into his car at a Chicago Greyhound bus station and driven him home where he attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed the complaint because the boy ever failed to appear in court. And then in June of the same year, Gary was arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. The arrest was in response to a complaint by another youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into his car and performed oral sex on him. Then these charges were dropped after the complaint, like the complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy. So I feel like the problem in these two situations isn't the the accusers, though. I feel like there's a common denominator that they're just like choosing to ignore. <laughs> I know, right? So back then, no one, no one, like the computer system, like there's no computers to sync up this stuff. Yeah. So no one contacted the parole board. They didn't know about it. They didn't what? know. It couldn't have sent like a carrier pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, eight months later, after those convictions, um, he has parole ended and um his records were all sealed awesome so he basically start got to start all over which like for him was what a lovely great time for him (laughs) yeah like good job yeah proud of you yeah right (laughs) so after this gacy's mother ended up helping him purchase a ranch house in chicago you know because he deserves it yeah and the address is 8213 summerdale avenue which i can state because it it, it's now demolished thank god oh okay um this is where he resided up until his final arrest Mm -hmm. uh gacy was said to be very helpful in this community and neighbors considered him to just be great like helped out with yard work and blah 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 but between 1974 and 1978 he hosted annual summer parties that would have attendance of over 400 people including politicians (laughs) he even has a picture with like the first lady at that time which i i really wish i could remember who it was but i can't yeah it like wasn't a kennedy i think it was i don't know yeah i'm not even i'm not even gonna try we are canadian yeah no (laughs) So in August of 1971, this is really shortly after the purchase of the house, he became engaged to a girl named Carol Hoff, who had two young daughters from a previous marriage, and they got married on July 1st, 1972. But by 1975, Gacy had told Carol that he was bisexual, and after the couple had sex on that Mother's Day of that year, he told her that this is the last time that they would ever have sex. (laughs) 
she stated that he would leave in the evening, return in the early morning, and have an excuse about working. Um, but she totally observed him bringing teenage boys home into the garage, found gay pornography and men's wallets and ID all over the house. And when she confronted him, he would just get mad and yell at her. Call the police. Should have called the police. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. I'm sure she totally regrets not now, like, later. Well, yeah, later. of course. But, like, at the time, it's, you're already kind of feeling like you marry someone. And then not even that long after, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm bisexual. And then you have sex. You're like, oh, actually, you know what? I'm not attracted to you anywhere. We're never <laughs> having sex again. And then you see him bringing teenage boys. Like, it's all just, like, it's probably a lot of shame on her own part. But also... And she has two kids. Well, yeah, like it would just, it would ruin the whole image. And I'm also kind of seeing a parallel, like it's not, doesn't feel as random that he like had like 650 people on his side in prison and was trying to make the neighborhood, his community better and get everyone on his side. And kind of the same thing here. He rebuilt his life, getting everyone on his side, making everyone like him, making him trustworthy, getting people to come to him. It's, and if he has antisocial personality disorder, that would... It makes sense. He doesn't care. Like, it's like none of this yeah. matters to him. He's just doing it for the front facing value, which is kind of also what he did to impress his father with the marriage. Like, if that was the reason, I'm just like speculating. Yeah. But I mean, no, I totally, I 100% agree. He's all about just like what he looks like on a surface level. Yeah. Because he's like so disturbed underneath the surface. Yeah. Which and is, he like knows he's disturbed. Like, he clearly is aware. Yeah. Like, and he's taking out all of his previous trauma and the, like the he's almost like carrying out punishment that his father maybe would have given him onto these boys and forcing power over them because he felt like he didn't have that. And also he was, he was molested when he was seven. Exactly. So like so, that that had to have done something, oh, obviously. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. But obviously not long later, Carol asked for a divorce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So this is in October of nineteen seventy five. Uh, Gacy agreed, obviously, uh, by mutual consent. She just, she did live in the house until the following February, and then they finally moved out. And a month later, the divorce was finalized. And Mm -hmm. they didn't have any kids or property together, so it was pretty clean, at least for her. This is when things get, like, a pretty shaky. So a few years before, he had established a business called PDM Contractors, which stood for Painting, Decorating, and Maintenance. And he would do just minor repair work and, you know, sign writing, pouring concrete redecorating but then he expanded and did interior design remodeling installation assembly and landscaping so by 1975 he actually grew rapidly and he was working up to 16 hours a day and then a couple years after that in 77 he became a supervisor for a place called pe systems which is a firm that specialized in remodeling of drugstores so between pe systems and pdm he was working up to four projects at the same time and frequently traveling and by 1978, just PDM's annual revenue was over $200,000 alone. Like, in that day's money. Wow. <laughs> so that is, Yeah, he was rolling in the money. Like, though. literally rolling. Yeah. So, because of this business, he would regularly hire young men <clears throat> and proposition them at PDM. He would eventually threaten them that he had a gun and that could easily kill them. In 1973, he took a teenage employee down to Florida to view a property that Gacy had bought. And then Gacy ended up raping this employee in their hotel. When they returned to Chicago, he drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his front yard. And then Gacy just told Carol, like, because they were married at the time, that he was just beaten for refusing to pay for bad work. Wow. (laughs) Bad lie, but okay. No kidding. So Gacy also became a member around this time of something called a local Jolly Joker Clown Cub. Which, like, I'm terrified of clowns. Yeah, no, thank you. So, like, 
Great. I would never. Yeah. Um, Whose members regularly performed at fundraising events and parades in addition to volunteering for hospitalized children. In late 1975, Gacy joined and created his own clown characters that were called Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. I hate this. I like, yeah. I, I hate this. I hate it. It's so, like the actual worst. I hate clowns. So he ended up having two other incidents with employees around this time as well. So one being Anthony. Uh, Antonucci? Antonucci, yeah. Okay, thanks. So he was 15. So Gacy got Anthony drunk and tried to put handcuffs on him. But Anthony ended up wrestling Gacy. He was actually on his high school wrestling team. So he was actually pretty strong for a 15 year old. Mm. And so he wrestled Gacy and was able to get the cuffs on him. And then Gacy ended up, like, freaking out on him. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, please just let me go. Like, I won't tell anyone. So he, he, the kid just ends up letting Gacy go and he leaves. So another employee who was named David Cram, who's 18, uh, picked Gacy up hitchhiking. Or Gacy picked up him, him hitchhiking and gave him a job. He also got cuffs on him after he was drunk. And Cram ended up kicking Gacy in the face <laughs> and freed himself. A month later, Gacy ended up at David's door saying he was going to rape him because he lived with Gacy. He ended up moving in with him. What? After this whole like... Yes. Tough- okay. And then David moved out shortly after. No kidding. Why'd you move in? He yeah, just- like, when, what was the timeline that he moved in with him? Like, why? What brought him to that? Like, maybe he was like, I don't know if he was being blackmailed. Maybe he was saying, like, you don't have to pay, like, a big amount of rent because he was fucking loaded. I don't know. Like, he picked him up and offered him a job. Yeah. Right? And so, picks him up hitchhiking, offers him a job. And so, he obviously doesn't have anywhere to live. So, he must have moved in. And then both of these events happened. Yeah. Because, like, why would you, <laughs> after that event happened, then move in? That just doesn't make any sense. No, I, like, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, poor David. Um, thankfully, he moved out. Yeah. So, Gacy did end up murdering at least 33 young men and boys, and he buried 26 of them in the crawl space of his house. Gacy usually lured a lone victim to his house, but although he would have what he calls doubles, which is two victims in one evening, like, he oh would my God. get them both to come over. Uh, Several victims were lured with a promise of a job, alcohol, drugs, or money. And his victims were either people he knew that had worked for him, random people that he would get from the Greyhound bus station, or another place called Bug House Square. Sometimes he would actually just pull them off the streets and he would pose as a police officer. He had the same signature for mostly all his victims. He would just get them drunk or on drugs, get a pair of handcuffs, pretend to do a magic trick or a clown routine while dressed up. And would end up getting the cuffs on the victim. Then he would rape and torture them. He would sit on their chests before forcing them to perform oral sex on Gacy. He would burn cigars, make them imitate a horse while sitting on their back, and would violate them with foreign objects. Oh my god. He would also handcuff their ankles together, and he would also drown some of them, bring them back to life, and then continue torturing them. When did all this start? Like, I feel like there was a jump from, like, oh, the guy moved out. And, like, by the way, now he has murdered 33 people. (laughs) So, basically, from, like, 1975 to 1978. So, basically, after David moves out, this is just, he's, like, he's going to town. That's, like, three people a month. Yeah. For three years. Yeah. Like, literally, David moves out, and it's, like, he started murdering people. Some of these people were sprinkled out probably while David maybe lived there. Yeah. But like 75 to 78, when he gets caught, he murdered 33 people, approximately. Wow. Like, so bad. 
So he would commonly murder his victims by placing a rope tourniquet around their neck before tightening the rope with a hammer handle, which he referred to as the rope trick. Uh, And he would often read Psalm 23 from the Bible while tightening around the victim's neck. So I actually found what Psalm 23 says. It's called the Psalm of David. I'm pretty sure this is it. And if it's wrong, I apologize. But it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is creepy. That is so creepy. I want, uh, yeah, very creepy. So after death, Gacy usually stored the victim's body under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying his victim in the crawl space, where he periodically poured quicklime to hate, like to to hasten the de- decomposition of the victims. Gacy committed most of these murders, yeah, between 1976 and 1978, as he lived alone after David moved out, and called these years of his the cruising years. In this year, this is when neighbors noticed very different behavior with him leaving and arriving late with men. And then one neighbor even reported that her and her son would wake up like frequently in the night from screaming. Oh my God. So we are not going to go through every murder because we would literally be here um, all day. But like, there's a lot of information about everyone that he did, all the boys that went missing and stuff. So like, if anyone is interested in actual details of all the people, then by all means, but it was obviously a lot of information. Well, yeah, 33 people. Like, going through, like, a killer that has one or two people is one thing. But, like, when there's 33, it that's, like, a whole freaking podcast series by itself. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's actually a ton of information. Um, It's very sad. Like, they're all, like, 21 and younger. Like, they're 14 to 21. It's very sad. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, if anyone wants to dive deeper into all of that, then obviously go for it. But we're not going to go through it today. It's just too long. But we are going to go through a specific one. Basically, it's how he got caught. Mm-hmm. So on December 11th of 1978, Gacy visited a pharmacy because he still worked for that PE systems. So he was discussing like a potential remodeling deal, deal with the store owner. Um, there was a 15-year-old employee who worked there whose name was Robert Peist. And he actually offered him a job with his contracting company. So Peist actually left with Gacy instead of going to his mother's after work to discuss this job opportunity. But Peace told his mom, like, he's like, oh, I'll be home by 9 p.m. Like, I won't be long. But Peace was then murdered at 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Mm-hmm. So when Peace didn't come home, his parents filed a missing persons report. Gacy's house was visited the following day by police because the store owner overheard the conversation of saying that he was offering him a job. But he just denied ever speaking to, to Peace. He offered to go to the station later that evening to make like an official statement because he said that his uncle had just died, so he couldn't go at that very moment. When the police asked him what time he would show up later, he just responded with, you guys are very rude. Don't you have respect for the dead? Ironic. Okay. So 3.20 in the morning now, Gacy arrives at the police station covered in mud, claiming to be in a car accident and said that he would return to the police station later that day. He repeated that he was not involved in Peace's disappearance and said he never offered him a job. 
Gacy said he would uh, had returned to the pharmacy later at the request of the store owner. But when they clarified that with the store owner, he was like, I never called him to come back like mm. at all. So then he did come up later and he just wrote a written statement that basically was like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. So it is said that prior to arriving at the police station, that's when Gacy had peaced in his attic and actually took the body of him, moved it to the trunk of his car and then drove and dumped it in the river. Mm, that's why he was covered in mud yeah. yeah um so i don't know how to say this it's is it day planes or des planes I, I would say it's probably something spanish so probably like yeah des planes or something like that yeah so i'm probably butchering it so i'm gonna call it de planes okay okay i don't know if i pronounce the s <laughs> so the police obtained a warrant to search gacy's house on december 13th uh the search resulted in obviously very suspicious items being found very similar to Robert Picton. So they found police badges, a six millimeter Brevetta starter pistol, a syringe, a hypodermic needle inside a cabinet, handcuffs, books on homosexuality and pederasty. Uh, yeah. Pederasty is books on pedophilia. Oh, I had to look it up. They make those. Yeah. Mm. Um, they also found porn films, various driver's license, lots of volume, an 18 inch dildo and lots of underwear. That was very way too small for Gacy. And then after the search, the police organized surveillance on Gacy and they investigated Gacy's battery charge that he had had like a few years prior that just never went anywhere. And that they learned that the complaint had reported that Gacy lured him into his car, was chloroformed, raped and tortured before dumping him with severe chest and facial burns and rectal bleeding in Lincoln Park. Yes. (laughs) So Gacy quickly realized that he was being watched and was inviting the police in for, like, meals and taunting them and would even, like, veer out of traffic and lose them, like, frequently. Yeah. He was, like, basically just, like, taunting them. Well, yeah. The police then ended up getting a statement from good old David Cram, the one who lived, used to live with him. Oh. And he stated that he was given a watch once and that Gacy stated that it was from a dead person. <laughs> Why would you admit that? I'm sorry, but, like, he's trying to, like... Anyways, I I'm not that I don't think anything about this is going to make sense, but <laughs> no, I don't think we're supposed to no, make sense of this no. one. So by December 18th of 1978, Gacy was becoming pretty tired from the surveillance and he was just looking relatively unwell and stressed, was like drinking like a fish. Uh, that afternoon, he went to his lawyer's office to prepare a 750000 civil suit against the De Plains police demanding that they cease their surveillance. This same day, they did trace a pharmacy photo receipt that was found in Gacy's kitchen back to a 17-year-old named Kim Byers. She actually also worked at the pharmacy that Mm. Robert Peace did. So she said that she wore that jacket on December 11th, the last time Robert Peace was seen, to shield herself from the cold. She had placed the receipt in her pocket, but then ended up giving her coat to Robert Peace. That was like the last thing he was seen wearing. Yeah. So this evidence. put Gacy and Peace obviously together. So the police were like, okay, great. This is like obviously a solid piece of evidence, but they have to keep going. So the police then interview an old coworker of his, that of Gacy's, whose name is Rossi. So he worked at PDM with him. Mm-hmm. He's only 18 years old and he lived with Gacy for a very short period of time. 
So they interview him a second time because the first time he said nothing. So I didn't even bother putting it on my notes because he literally was like, no, I'm good. Gacy's fine. Like, we're cool. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But this time, the second time, he actually finally cooperated. And he said that he actually poured 10 bags of the quicklime in his basement, Gacy's house, on more than one occasion. On December 19th, the police were continuing to compile evidence because they really needed a second search warrant because of the crawl space because they didn't look up down there in the first one. So now all these people are saying crawl space. So they're like, we need a second warrant. We need to look in this damn crawl space. Yeah, I'm kidding. So the same day that they're compiling evidence, Gacy's lawyers filed a civil suit against the De Plains police. That afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives into their house again, and they actually took up the offer to see if they could find any evidence. Yeah. One of the key pieces of evidence is one of the boys that went missing that we didn't go over. He used to have a TV, and the TV went missing, and they had the serial number from the said TV. So they wanted to see if they could find a TV in Gacy's house that had the same serial number. Oh, yes. Because, like, really, like, that's solid as hell. Well, yeah, exactly. So they invited him in, and one of the officers distracted Gacy, and the other one went into his bedroom to try to match the TV's serial numbers. And when he went into the bathroom of the bedroom, there was this really awful smell emulating from the heating duct, and that he said it smelled exactly like rotting corpses. And that he probably thought that it was missed the last time because Gacy's house was really cold. But this time it's December and the heat is on. Yeah. So they went back to Rossi again and was interviewed because he's like, I was in the crawl space and helped down there. And he actually finally admitted that he actually dug out parts of the crawl space for Gacy. And that he was strongly advised to only dig in certain areas and to avoid other areas. And then when they interviewed David Cram again, he admitted to Gacy's attempts to rape him in 1976 and that he also stated that he helped put lime in the crawl space and he actually helped to dig trenches that were the exact size of graves. Hmm. <laughs> like, I just like... I, I don't like, did no one, like, did no one just like be like, wow, this is like really weird. And you know what? I think that he totally took advantage of the fact that they were young boys and were obviously like... They're living with him at 18 because they probably don't have a good family life and they feel trapped and they're just listening to him because they, you know what I mean? They're probably also scared of him. Well, yeah, totally. I would say this is like, it sounds like it's coming more from a place of fear. Like the fact that the one guy, Rossi, didn't even want to say anything the first time. Like he didn't want to cooperate. It's like subliminally, like if you dug out crawl spaces for this guy and poured lawn, you had to have known something sketchy was going on. But you don't want to be the one that ends up in the crawl space next. (laughs) Right? Like, he's like, I've kind of seen what's down there. And like, come on, like, if you're digging down there and pouring lime, you had to have smelled something. I was gonna say, like, the smell alone, it doesn't matter how far you are away from, and he tells you to avoid certain, you're gonna smell it. Like, you're gonna smell something horrifically foul. Like, you have to know that something's I also saw pictures of the crawl space, and it's not like, it's a literal crawl space. Like, you can't stand up on it. So I thought about, like, digging graves. And I'm like, how did they dig them? Because you can't stand. Yeah. It's, like, not tall. So I'm like, how did you do that? Yeah. It's just... Ugh. I don't, I don't like... I don't want to think about that. <laughs> so on December 20th, so this is, again, just another... A couple days later, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office to attend a scheduled meeting. And when he arrived, he immediately asked for an alcoholic drink. He then picked up a copy of the Daily Herald, which is like a local newspaper, pointed to a front page article that covered the disappearance of Robert Peast and said, this boy is dead. He's dead and he's in the river. Gacy then continues to get completely obliterated drunk and rambly confesses 
that lasted into early hours, like in the morning. He stated that he buried most of his victims in the crawl space, but some were thrown into the river. Gacy dismissed that the victims were all male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick to, adding that he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor and that he buried them in the crawl space because he believed that they were his now because they were on his property. Yes. So Gacy passed out mid-confession and his lawyer, whose name is like Amarant, he arranged a psychiatric appointment for him at 9 a.m. like the next day. Like he passes out like very early, like probably four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And Amarant's like, "Um, we need someone here like ASAP. Yeah. So when Gacy wakes up, he just like shakes his head when he was informed of the confession, just leaves the office, like doesn't attend the psych eval. Gacy at this point just knew his arrest was imminent. Like, he's like, I super fucked up now. Yeah. And so he just went around town saying goodbye to friends and family. And he even was seen holding a rosary to his chin, crying and praying while driving around town. (laughs) As if that's going to garner him any sympathy. (laughs) Right. He did sell cannabis to a gas station during this little trip around town, which seems like a casual, like, drug deal. Yeah, just like, hey, thanks for pumping my gas. Here's weed. Like, I thought... This actually led to his arrest, though, because the police were really worried when he was seen, like, crying with this rosary that he was going to commit suicide. Yeah. So they arrested him on this, like, drug Drug charge. charge. Yeah. (laughs) So the following day, the second search warrant was finally approved, and they advised, like, uh, Gacy that they would be searching the crawl space for Robert Peast. But around this time, he was uh, released as well. So Gacy denied that the teenager was actually buried there, but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and that he was buried under the garage. So when they arrived, Gacy beat them there and he was already unplugging his sump pump and flooding the crawl space with water. And yeah, so to clear it, the police simply just had to replace the plug and wait for the water to drain. So he didn't actually destroy anything. Within minutes of the evidence tech searching in the crawl space, he had already uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone. Yeah. Oh my god. He immediately shouted to the investigators that he could charge Gacy with murder already, adding, I think this place is full of kids. Another investigator searched the northeast corner of the crawl space, found a patella bone, and on the southeast corner uncovered two lower leg bones. All the victims they uncovered were too decomposed to be Robert Peast, though. So in the early morning of December 22nd, in the presence of lawyers, Gacy provided a formal statement to which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young males, all of whom he claimed had entered his house willingly. He claimed that he was planning on covering his crawl space with concrete the following month. When questioned about peace, he admitted to luring him and strangling him and sleeping next to his deceased body that evening before putting his body in the river. He showed the police where he dumped the bodies in the river as well as the body under the garage. The house was demolished in April of 1979. Thank. Yeah. God. I should just make it a big crater in the earth. And I think it, I hope it's a big crater in the earth now. Like just a landfill. Like honestly. <laughs> like you. Ugh. So trial started on February 6, 1979 and he was charged with 33 murders. And then he was tried in Cook County in Illinois, which, um, and then they had to choose all the jury from a different county because too many people knew of the story. Did he? They get to identify every 33 of the... They almost did. I think there's, like, a few that are unidentified. Well, I don't... He threw... and He ended up throwing six of them in the river. Yeah. And I don't think they found all of them. Well, it's hard. And he didn't know all their names, he admitted. Well, yeah. He obviously didn't care about them. So, like... Yeah. 
So at the request of the defense counsel, Gacy did spend over 300 hours with the doctors at the Maynard Correctional Care uh, or Correctional Center in the year before his trial to determine if he was mentally competent. Gacy tried to convince the doctors that he had multiple personality disorder and claimed to have four personalities, the hardworking, civil-minded contractor, the clown, the active politician, and then a policeman who he had named Jack Hanley, whom he referred to as Bad Jack. When Gacy confessed to police, he claimed to be relaying his crimes to Jack, who detested homosexuality and who viewed male prostitutes as weak, stupid, and degrading scum. That sounds familiar. Yes. (laughs) I wonder who that came from. Yeah, right? So his lawyers opted to have Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity to all charges, uh, presenting Gacy as kind of like a Jekyll and Hyde character. (laughs) The defense produced several psychiatric experts who had examined Gacy, and three psychiatric experts at Gacy's trial testified they found him to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personalities. The prosecutors presented the case that Gacy was sane and in full control of his actions, and they had witnesses testify that it was a premeditated, obviously. Yeah. He called it his cruising years. Well, yeah, he, like, lured them in. He had every knowledge of what he was doing. He purposely went into professions where he would be persistently seeing and employing young men. That was his whole thing. And, like, the JCs thing. Yeah, exactly. Why 18 to 40. That's probably why they don't have that big age gap. Well, I don't <laughs> actually know if the JCs... I don't really even know what it is, so... I didn't know what it was before this, and I'm not... It might exist in some states, yeah. but, like, it sounds kind of, like, weird. It sounds kind of... Like, maybe it sounds weird because it's connected to this story. Yeah. <laughs> it just, like, it just is a very big, like, age gap. And, like, you know, it doesn't have to be an inappropriate thing, but just because, like, histories of young boys being abused by older men, it's just kind of a weird, like, gathering thing. Like, why would you need, outside of a school setting or, like, a sports setting, what is the need especially when it seems like all these people are kind of on like equal footing it's not like in cub scouts where you've got like you know the different like you know nine to 11 year olds and then you've got the 15 to 17 year olds all of them and maybe they do segregate them like i maybe maybe should have looked into it a little bit more but it seemed to me just to be like yeah like it's weird and like what do they do just like meet and talk about sales strategies like i don't know <laughs> yeah I, well they wife swap sorry that's what they're consuming i was gonna say with. like i don't think they're talking about any strategies to do with business unless the business was being disgusting <laughs> exactly. so the coroner testified that all of the autopsies that he performed 13 victims died of asphyxiation six of ligature strangulation one from multiple stab wounds who they actually think might be his first victim because mm. it's the only one that's like that. Yeah. And then 10 were actually in undetermined ways. Gacy's defense team suggested that all 33 deaths were caused by accidental erotic asphyxia, but the coroner called this, like, very highly improbable. How do you accidentally kill 33 people? That's not... not no. 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 <laughs> like, I don't, like, I have no words. Like, obviously, no. Like, the fact that they tried that. Well, like, come like, on. Are, you'd think after the first oh. time of accidentally killing someone, you'd be like, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, you know what? I'm pretty, like, shitty for already luring them into my house and brutally raping these people. But, like, yeah, maybe next time we just won't choke them to death. Oops, sorry. We'll try better next time. And then 33 more times, or, or like, 32 more times. <laughs> like, don't you think after, like, number three, you'd be like, I think I shouldn't asphyxiate them anymore <laughs> yeah like like there's just no way that that's a true thing there's 33 yeah, people you like, could maybe get away with that defense with one but like 33 yeah 
No. No, like his defense team was stupid for that one. <laughs> Just stick with the insanity thing. Just stick with the that. Jur- I would have literally vocally laughed if I was yeah. on the jury on that. I'd have been like, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so during the fir- uh, fifth week of trial, Gacy ended up writing a personal letter to the judge requesting a mistrial for uh, several reasons including that he did not approve of his lawyer's insanity plea and that he was not allowed to take the witness stand by his defense team and that they did not call enough medical witnesses in his opinion and that police were just outright lying on the witness stand. The judge stated that he had, did have a choice to testify if he wanted to and then everything else he was just like threw it in the garbage. He's like, yeah, you're an well, idiot. it was all garbage. <laughs> yeah. So the closing arguments lasted four hours, but the jury deliberated for less than two. And found him guilty of all 33 charges of murder and also found him guilty of the sexual assault and taking indecent liberties with the child. Both of those convictions were about Robert Peast. At the time of his conviction, 33 murders was the most for which any person in the U.S. history had been convicted for. I actually was curious because I thought Gacy did have the highest, but I looked it up and it's someone named Samuel Little, who I've never heard of before. Oh. And he is confirmed to have 60, but thought to have 93. So I feel like I need to add him to my podcast Um, list. Yeah. I've never heard of him. I have also never heard of him. Maybe I have in passing and I just don't recognize him. He's called like the the stroke and toke killers. I don't think it's toke, but stroke and choke. Stroke and choke killer. And I've never heard of him before. I've never heard of that either. So the jury went back and deliberated again for another two hours for the sentencing, and they ended up sentencing Gacy to death for each murder that he convicted, uh, because the Illinois statute on capital capital punishment actually didn't, like, just came into effect in 1977. So his execution date was set for June 2nd, 1980. He ended up sitting on death row, not shockingly, for 14 years. He kept appealing, like, insane amounts, um, Mm. but during this time from 79 to 81... He actually sat down with multiple interviews with the same journalist, and he ended up co-writing a book called Buried Dreams, based on those interviews, which, like, okay. So, yeah, he appealed a lot. He said one of his appeals, he even stated that most of the murders were done by employees of his. (laughs) Yeah. His execution date was moved multiple times because of these appeals, and the last date finally, like, you only have a certain amount of appeals you can do, right? So the last mm-hmm. one he failed. So his last execution date was officially May 10th of 1994. The afternoon of his execution, he was allowed to have a picnic on the prison grounds with his family. And for his last meal, he decided to order a bucket of KFC, which I thought was just hilarious. Yeah. A dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. His final words were reported to be kiss my ass. <laughs> And he was pronounced dead from lethal injection on May 10th, 1994 at 1258 in the morning. Over a thousand people gathered outside the correctional center, most of which were in favor of his execution, but some were protesters that were just simply against capital punishment. Uh, Some were actually wearing t-shirts saying no tears for the clown. (laughs) His brain was removed and given to a scientist after he was Hmm. uh, lethally injected for like literally to the scientist that records like psychopathic behavior and serial killers and stuff. Yeah. And then the rest of him was cremated. And she actually is still in present. Like she still has his brain apparently. Like I'm, Have I'm there been sure- like studies or anything that come out. Like I, I haven't found anything on it. Mm. And I'm assuming like she might not still be around, but so are like her lab or that company probably still yeah. has it. But I found that like really interesting. Yeah. I wonder whatever came of that. Like, if there's, like, maybe there's not let's disclose any of it that's, like, private information. Like, I, 
Yeah. I would assume it's not like something you just disclose to the public in like a New York yeah. Times article, right? Like it's. But it's interesting because like if she does get a, f- it sounds weird, but if she gets a few serial killers and they all have like something very similar going on in their brain, like it'd be really interesting to know what that is. Yeah. Because they always have in the TV shows, like I know it's fake, like the serial killer gene. Oh, but, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, it would be interesting if that was real. Well, I think a lot of it, too, like, a lot of serial killers they have a very disturbed childhood. Like, something seriously bad happened. So I wonder what's, like, the trigger point. What does their brain look like from the moment mid- when they maybe could have turned out okay to the moment where it was all too far gone? Yeah, right? For sure. So I only have, like, one note, but there are actually a ton of reports that Gacy just never did actually act alone. There's a mm. lot of people out there that think that there was more people involved. After his conviction, he repeatedly stated that he didn't act alone, and some statements do reflect that someone else may have been present. So Gacy named a former employee named Philip Pask, who was known to be a close associate of someone named John Norman, who in the late 70s was connected to a nationwide sex trafficking ring based in Chicago known as the Delta Project, and they actually suspect that Gacy could have been connected to this as well. And I actually read that two different people who didn't end up dying actually reported to seeing lights go on in the house when they were being like tortured. And one of them actually said that he woke up out of consciousness once and there was two people standing in front of him. Mm. One of them being Gacy. Yeah. So like. It would make sense. That's a lot of people. It is. And for him to not get caught. Yeah. For that long. Oh, and one of the people I read too, um, he actually, actually wasn't even in town when he disappeared. He was out of town and was like on a plane came back in the day after the kid disappeared Mm. but they they found him yeah so people think that like gacy was letting people into his house well and he was part of this like jc's thing which essentially became a giant porn yeah i don't even know what you want to say ring like there was like so much inappropriateness happening with like the children and adult males there it wouldn't surprise me that the other adult males that were there had similar interests to him and he had connections and that's how he was able to procure so many victims and like keep it quiet and like maybe there was more than just that one other guy too right like yeah it would make sense that's a lot of people like that's a lot of people it's a lot of people and there are lots of people who think that david cram and that rossi guy were involved because they were like, how do you go in the crawl space and and not and do those things and not do something? Yeah. I, but I don't know if I believe that. Like, I think they could be influenced, but I think it is a lot of people. Yeah. And for him, like, what is he really that smart to not get caught? Exactly. Because like, okay, like he hires the kids, they go missing, they interview him. He's like, oh yeah, they worked for me. I don't know what happened, but like, okay, another kid goes missing. He works for the same guy. Like, there's yeah, no like, way the police didn't put two and two together at some point being like, what, the common denominator between 12 kids is that they all work at PDM contracting. Yeah. Hello. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's, like, did all, like, 33 parents collectively not clue in that they all worked for this one guy at this one company? Like, even with the lack of technology they had back then, they had the common sense to be like, okay, if everyone at one company is going missing... Maybe we should investigate somebody, people in that company that are directly related to them and have had contact with them. That's like, it doesn't take a freaking detective to figure that out. Like any normal person would be like, oh yeah, you should probably investigate anyone close in their lives, work, home, friend groups. <laughs> like, hello. Yeah. The, the police after 
like Peist went missing did finally unseal like his records. But the fact that that wasn't done earlier is just ridiculous. Like he was interviewed a million times. Like if you see, and granted, like I understand that their technology system was like basically non-existent probably back then. But for me, like if you see someone on a report somewhere that they have a sealed record and they went to jail 18 months out of 10 years, would you not like want to open that up? And see, like, what's going on. Like, I don't know. Like, and I definitely don't think it was shoddy police work. Like, he could have totally just went under the radar. Like, he was very well respected in his community. He was high up in these JC things that are, like, known probably to have good respect in the community. Mm -hmm. So maybe people just didn't want to suspect him. Like, he had pictures with first ladies and high up politicians and all of these things. So he did have, like, that facade of, like, a total normal guy. But, like... Hello. <laughs> yeah, I know. At some point, well, I mean, and like, not to bring up like other like cases, but like, if you think about even like, not Harvey Weinstein, I'm thinking about the other guy. Oh my God, what's his name? Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, Jeffrey Epstein. There we go. Again, something that like on the down low, people knew. Like, and there's a lot of people that are involved that still have not come out. Even his wife, how long it took her to get convicted finally. Like, but how long did that go on before? people finally like the FBI finally took the move and they finally took him down. Yeah. And then even like the suspicious circumstances surrounding his suicide quote yeah. unquote. Like Harvey right? Weinstein too. Same like people thing. said Robert Picton. Yeah. People knew cops went to his parties. He Robert Picton had search warrants and the cops never went and searched. Yeah. People showed up to the police station and said I saw dead bodies in a deep freeze on his farm and they got a search warrant and they never showed up. Yeah. So like, and also to given the like, <laughs> given the time period too, like it was a very different time back then. Like it was a very like more like we're still I think a male dominated society today, but way much more way so worse. then. And like the and like the power that men, especially like him, that were prominent figureheads in his community and people respected, like. Even if somebody maybe did say something to the police, they'd be like, oh, him? Oh, no, it couldn't be him. Like, not to say that's what they no, said. No, like, I went like, to his summer party last year. Yeah, he's like, well, did you see he had a pre- picture with the president's wife? Oh, well, he was the, he's the vice president of the JCs. He owned three KFCs in this place. He's been <laughs> married. He had kids. He's a good guy. Why, why would he do that? So. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Like, super gross. I actually didn't know much about John Wayne Gacy before I started researching. And, like, I, like, could not believe what I was reading. Like, I knew he was very prolific, but I didn't know exactly the details. I knew he killed a lot of teenage boys. There's, like, a clown aspect to it. But I didn't know in what regard. I did not actually expect that many people. He, like, for him to have killed. Like, I was actually, like, really surprised. Like, I could not believe it. The 70s were just a crazy time. Like, all of the, like, interesting big serial killers, I feel, are all 60s, 70s, and early 80s. Like, Ted Bundy, Ed Kempner, John Wayne Gacy, like, like so many. Like, yeah. you can go on and on and on. Like, it's just crazy. Like, what hap- What was happening back then? Like, was everyone okay? Yeah, there was a lot of, like... I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the uncertainty of, like, things happening around that time or, like... Yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of <laughs> like, drugs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But that definitely concludes our episode on John Wayne Gacy and obviously the brutal crimes that he committed while he was on this earth. And thankfully, he no longer is. Uh, oh, I, I actually read more about his lethal injection and there was like a huge error in it. So it ended up being like easier for him to die. Yeah. So I read Absolutely. something about how like because of this mess up of 
like someone at the prison put an injection in first that they weren't supposed to, and it would have made it way less painless for him. So he actually got off really easy. People came like after said he died like the easiest death you could by lethal injection. Wow. So like, cool. Great. Wait, good for him. <laughs> yeah. So some random segue. Thank you so much for everyone to listen. I do post episodes every second Tuesday on basically anywhere that you can listen to podcasts. And if you want to keep up with the show, feel free to follow the Instagram at murder sandwich podcast. And obviously thank you to Jenna for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And we will see you next time. Bye.